if you have the ability to. You guys know we've been going through the, uh, if you don't know, we've been going through the book of John and the gospel according to John. And um, we've been praying this prayer at the beginning of every, and it's a scripture out of Philippians, but we've been praying it every Sunday since we began this uh, particular series, really, which is just going through a book called the Gospel of John. And so I want to pray that again this morning. Um, and, and so if you would, Philippians 3, 10 and 11, uh, it says this, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Now, what I want to do is go back to 10 there, and I want us to pray this again. Um, and I really, I just want to slow down. I'll hold the pace, let's say that, and then let's just slow down. And I'm just going to ask, Holy Spirit, would you come in this place? Let's pray. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Amen. You can be seated. And so, as I mentioned before, last week we were in uh, northern Georgia. We were camping. We tent camp because that's what you do when you have six kids. And so we love it. There's a place that we go. Uh, it's like our go-to. Every time uh, that we want to get away and get into the woods, hike a little bit, see some stuff, go into some uh, stores maybe in towns, it's just this perfect little place that we go to. Um, and it's up in Blairsville, uh, Georgia, so like northeast Georgia. And so we were camping, and it's one of our favorite places. Now it's, I think it's a couple more people's favorite place, and so we introduced them to that. And, and of course, during the week, what happens when you have kids camping, um, they get filthy. Okay, and that happens, and that's a good thing, right? And so, well, I, I think it's a good thing. And, and so some of our friends had left, and that meant the majority of the kids had left, and this lady comes out of the bathroom. There's like a quad bathroom, and um, she comes out, and she looks at me, and she says, I'll tell you one thing. The bathrooms are a lot more cleaner since those kids are gone. It wasn't like super negative or anything. It was just kind of like, she's just stating a fact. Like, she's right. And I thought, I didn't want to engage her because I didn't want to be like, well, those were actually my friend's kids. <laughs> like, you got a problem. Um, so I was like, yeah, <laughs> I bet they are. And I went into the bathroom and they were. They were incredibly uh, cleaner. And, and so I just kept thinking about that and about that scenario and about kids and camping and dirty bathrooms and, and um, hopefully somehow I'll be able to bring that back into the message. 
today. Um, I think I'll weave it in at some point. Um, but God, would, or God, or guys, would you pray with me? God, uh, we just thank you that you're here in our midst to change us, to transform us. And I believe the most amazing thing about you is that, that you invite us into your presence. And not only do you invite us into your presence, but then you, you give us the choice to say yes or no, to follow you, to not follow you. So God, I pray that this morning we would give you our yes. No matter where we are, the things that we're struggling with, the things that we're going through, the real questions that we have, the sin that we have in our lives, God, that we would give you our yes. Would you come and have your way in Jesus' name? Amen. And so we uh, left off uh, chapter 7, just like we left chapter 6, with a lot of people having a lot of questions. Some people leaving, some people staying, some people understanding, some people not understanding. And here we have this scene when we enter into chapter 8 then of Jesus teaching again at the temple. I want to read the first 11 uh, verses of chapter 8. If you would, read along with me. Not out loud, that would be weird. Um, But just listen along. Uh, Chapter 8 of John, verses verses 1 through 11. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Of course, like every situation, CIE, right? Context is everything, right? And so I want to give you that context. Uh, This woman is caught in adultery. I'd like to indicate if you know anything about adultery, it wasn't just a woman that was caught in adultery, all right? We'll address that a little bit later. But she's caught in adultery, and so this requires two witnesses, 
by law, requires two witnesses that see this happening at the same time and at the same place. And what this is, is this law is put into place so that a disgruntled husband can't just accuse his wife of being an adulteress. There has to be two witnesses to this. And so these two witnesses are, are there. The problem with the whole scenario is this, that the all, law also requires that if you see someone about to sin, you are supposed to, in compassion, say something to them. So what we see here is these witnesses stay silent. They want to catch this woman in adultery in order to use her. And so I asked earlier, just a second ago, where was her partner in crime? Where was he when she was brought to the forefront? And this wasn't a trap just for the woman alone. This was ultimately a trap for Jesus. And so they set this trap for Jesus, and, and the, the indication is this, that, okay, he is bending some of our rules. He has healed on the Sabbath. He has taken liberty with the law. What will he do in this situation? Will he bend the rules even further? And so I want to give you a little bit here, too, um, if the woman was engaged to be married, uh, the fiancé was to be brought with and stoned to death. If the woman was caught in adultery and was married, uh, she was to be strangled, right? And so here's Jesus sitting, and I find this to be such a small detail that we could overlook it, but I love it. Jesus is just sitting. When they bring this and they're making a big deal, Jesus is found sitting. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what he's drawing in the dust. There has been a lot of theory. The security footage is not clear. All right? But, but here's... Here's what I know is this, whether he's drawing a smiley face or whether he's drawing some uh, Hebrew words or whatever he is doing, he's in control of the situation because they meet with reaction, he meets with calmness. And he is drawing in the dust. He's writing in the dust. He's in control of the situation. He hears the accusers and their accusations. I love this part, but he's unsettled. He's not, sorry, he's not unsettled. He's settled. He's calm. He knows, do you think Jesus knows the law? Jesus knows the law. And Jesus says this, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And in this statement, Jesus forces the accusers to look inside themselves in order to face the reality of who they are. 
we could take this passage and we could say, man, this passage is all about this woman and Jesus' compassion and forgiveness. But Jesus also in this is really indicating, hey, what does your heart look like? You who are bringing this woman, you who set this woman up, you who are bringing here, her here as a tool so that she can be used, you could have dealt with this to the side. You could have dealt with this in a different way. You could have brought me to the side. You bring this woman shamefully in front of all of these people. You left the other one there and you bring her here as a tool in your toolbox to come at me. I love, and we all love this, right? Like, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? I can only imagine what this woman's feeling. I can't, I mean, I don't want to, like, take extra biblical here, but I can't imagine she's really comfortable right now. She also probably knows the law. She also knows that her life is in danger. She also knows that she could be breathing her last really soon. Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord. Can't you just see her looking up or maybe looking down? The shame, the guilt... No, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. So a couple things I just want to take away from these short 11 verses is this. Takeaway number one. I, and I'm just going to tell you right up front here, all the things that Josh said He had no idea I was going to say these things. So I was like, I don't even know if I need to teach today. Um, But number one, I do not need to deny my shortcomings in order to glorify Christ. We have this idea sometimes that if I fake it, I'll make it. If I'm not real, what rhymes with that? I'll give God appeal. Okay, that was weak. Okay, but here's the deal. I obviously didn't have those in my notes. Okay, so we don't need to deny our shortcomings in order to glorify God. Sometimes we do that, though. How are you? I'm doing great. My world is falling apart. Even as we speak, I feel like a piece of poo. Good, though. I don't need to deny my shortcomings in order to glorify God. Christ, this is crazy. Christ is glorified in my shortcomings. This is a paradox. A paradox of the kingdom, it says this. In my weakness, you are strong. Within me, you are strong. So in my weakness, I'm strong because of you. Because Christ dwells within me in my weakness, he is strong. 
And Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians in chapter 12. He says this in um, verses 7 through 10. Even though I've received such wonderful revelations from God, and this is, I'm swept into the third heaven, and you guys read all one through six, and, and he says, um, wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from being proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. Three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness. And in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He talks about giving this thorn, given, being given this thorn in his flesh um, that prevented him from being proud. And he asked the Lord three times, would you take it away? I don't know what the thorn is. I'm sure there's commentaries with predictions on speculation on what that was. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was physical. I don't know if it was mental. I know this, though. He learned to be satisfied in the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. And he learns this, and in another passage, he says, you know, I I can be happy with much, and I can be happy with little. Because he realizes this, the happiness does not flow out of the stuff. It flows out of the one, the Holy Spirit. It flows out of the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That's where he finds his ability to move on. So we don't know what it is. We, don't, we know that it wasn't ever taken away. But instead of being mad about uh, this, about his situation, about living out of his anger, Paul learns instead to live out of his weakness. And I want to say this. I want to propose this. Paul, because of his weakness, lived a more full life. Maybe if that would have taken away, Paul would not have lived the life that he lived. Interesting to us, isn't it? That in in the West, and I, I, I it's not the West. Like I don't mean to rip on the West. But in America, we do live in an instant culture. We we do live in a culture of where pain is is pushed away. Um, I'll give you an example. I mean, these are good things. So if you've had this or you've had this for somebody, I'm not saying you're wrong. We don't do funerals anymore. Right? We do celebration of life. I just want to ask a question. Why are we so afraid to grieve? With each other. And I know, I know the answer is, well, you know, they're with Jesus and this, okay, but they're gone with, from us. And, and, and I, want to, I want to give you permission 
you can grieve your loss. Because God will meet you in your grief. And I, I've just, I'm convinced of this, and I've said this before, if you have not lived through grief or sorrow or pain or suffering, I just don't believe that you fully lived. Now, I'm not putting a sign out that says, punch me, I want to suffer, kick me, take all my money. I'm not saying that I want this. I am saying that when it comes, I am standing on the rock. So Paul learns to live out of his weakness. I wonder if we could learn to live out of our weakness. I wonder if we could learn to live out of our shortcomings so that Christ can make up the difference. I wonder if I would be okay if, let's say, Lakeland Vineyard was 50 people to 100 people the rest of the time that it ever existed. I wonder if I'd be okay being an okay speaker and letting God do the rest. You know, I think we focus, I had somebody kick me in the face earlier today in a good way, not like literally. And I'm just expressing to them, man, just, you know, a lot of stuff, a lot of questions, right? God, what's going on? Did I do the right thing was this it? And this good friend says to me, listen, I learned something a long time ago that someone told me was this. Why are you spending time on the things that you can't change? You've made those decisions. Those decisions and the result of those decisions exist right now. Why are you spending another second thinking, what if I didn't? And we move forward and say, God, what are you going to do? In my weakness, you are strong. Now, what if we met other people and we gave them that same leeway? What if we met them and we said, are any of your accusers here? You know, Jesus forgives you. Now, go and, and send no more, though. Now, I wonder if we met people. Man, who in here loves to be met with grace and mercy? Anybody? Yeah. I just saw somebody put both hands up and a foot. Okay? Uh, we love to be met with grace and mercy. Teenagers in the room, it is 11.30. Your curfew was 11. How many of you love grace and mercy? Why does this store do this? Has this store always been this loud? Hey, what's up? Or from a dark couch. Hey, what are you doing? Oh, gosh, what are you? Oh, okay. 
Now, you know, do we say that those things go like, you know, hey, you're going to have to not go out next Friday or something like that. We love grace and mercy. Gosh, we love it when we make a mistake and someone doesn't just rip us a new one. But then we find ourselves sometimes in the driver's seat ripping people a new one. I know I do. It's a lot of what my questions were about as I was driving yesterday. You guys ever notice when you drive, you have a lot of time? You're driving from North Georgia, you have like 10 hours. Um, now, if there's, there is a problem, though. If you're in North Georgia and you got to Lakeland, you're like, how did I get here? Um, we got to talk. I want to know how you did that. Um, so, takeaway number one, you don't need to deny your shortcomings. Now, here's what I'm going to say to you. You also don't need to go out and flaunt your shortcomings. Oh, I'm just weak. I'm awful. I'm this. I'm that. You know, I'm horrible. I'm that. Okay, calm down. At some point, I'm like, are you fishing for something? Like, okay. Here, here's, what, here's what I think. I think that there's only a couple people, and I think it's a model that Jesus carried on. It was, there were 12 people. There were a ton of people. You know, he, he fed like 5,000, 4,000, but he walked with 12. He was very, uh, very, very close to three. I just want to give you some advice. Don't blab all your stuff to everybody you know. All right? Because you, get, you blab it to 40 people, you get 40 different opinions. You blab it to two people, they'll tell you for real. If you have two people in your life that are like, hey, you are being a jerk. Hey, you are doing great right now. Hey, you are doing this. They're not doing it for any other reason but to, but to point you in the direction that you should go. then it's super important. So let's begin to live out of our weakness and let God fill in the rest. Number two, don't ever forget dirty bathrooms. Never, ever become so quote, clean, that you forget dirty bathrooms. See, when we forget dirty bathrooms in that situation, we forgot what it was to be a kid. When we find ourselves so clean in Jesus that we forget what it was to be a sinner, we have an issue. Because what we forget is we're a sinner saved by grace. And so when we can look out and we can see all these things and in disbelief we begin to judge the people around us because of our, quote, righteousness, all we want to do is drag people out in front of a crowd and make a scene while our Savior is sitting down, writing in the dust. And I wonder if Jesus might say to us sometimes, and I know he would to me, 
hey, why don't you throw the first stone if you're without sin? And when Christ speaks that to our heart of hearts, what we realize is quicker than anything, unless we're full of pride, is this, that that stone hits the ground pretty fast. And so I just want to encourage you with that. Never forget where Christ has brought you from. Never forget that. We talked about it. The old is gone. The new has come. There has to be an old there for the new to come. We can look back on that and we can say, oh my God, your grace is so amazing that you love me. Guess what? I don't have to live over there anymore, but I know where I came from. I know that I was a thief. I know that I was a liar. I know that I was, I know that, and I know this, all of that is covered by the blood of Jesus. But God can use our dirty bathrooms to minister to people's lives. Man, you don't even know what I've gone through. Yeah, actually, I do. I've walked right there. You what? I've walked right where you've walked, and I've made some of the decisions that you've made. I'm not here to brag about it. I'm here to tell you that there's a king of kings that can change your heart and life. So don't forget dirty bathrooms. Don't deny your shortcomings. Know that the king of kings is exalted because you're weak. He is strong. Stand with me.